I think a bigger problem can come about when they see you as a person, well, you're not like that, right? So mm, like, mm. yes, you may be black, but you're not like most black people, right? So, cause I've heard that before, yeah, like literally yeah, uh, I've gotten that and I've tried to figure out how the hell to process that. So if you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is uh, Corel Cooper with Group Black. If you don't know Group Black, it's one of the largest, it is the largest Black-owned media collective agency, and it's about empowering uh, essentially more dollars uh, that are that are that are being spent advertising dollars to go back to the black creators that are actually creating the value. Uh, this started as a as kind of a, a call and a mission in 2020 uh, after the uh, awakening of people, I guess, or the reawakening, whatever you want to call it. Right. I kind of feel they went back to sleep a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, Group Black started at that moment to really bring a reckoning to. Uh, media advertising dollars and making sure that they are being spent in a more equitable way. And Carell is the president of uh, advertising at Group Black. And he's also the host of the Minority Podcast, which I've been on. I encourage you to also yep. to go on to that podcast. Carell, welcome. Hey, Rob, how you doing? It's, it's good to be here. And um, like you said, uh, I appreciated the time when you were a guest on my podcast. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to uh, being a guest on yours and, and this conversation. Excited for it. Absolutely. And it was great to have you at Midwest Con. Hope you'll come back and we can do some Absolutely. other things together uh, with Midwest Con. We already got the date, so we want to do more with Group Black and <laughs> excited to talk more. Uh, but uh, I want to get to something. I just want to get right to it and we'll get to levels in terms of your uh, details of your career and and what you're doing at Group Black and how that's going. But I'd like to really kind of go uh, to talk a little bit more about your role traditionally in your career. Uh, I read in a podcast, uh, I listened to a podcast that you were on and you said something that I think every black leader or any, frankly, uh, leader that's bit, that's from a minority group uh, can understand, right? You said a lot of times, almost always in your career, you've either, you've either been the only one or the highest ranking black person in that position. And that brings an additional level of pressure and stress what type of pressure and stress does that bring being the sometimes only or the highest uh, ranking African-American in the room or at the table? Yeah. So um, first, I've been in the digital advertising space for 24 years now. And up until I joined Group Black uh, a year and a half ago, uh, that statement was was very true. Right. Of, of for me throughout my career, either being. Um, the only uh, black leader in the room or the highest ranking black leader in the room. And the I think the additional pressure uh, that it brings, at least for me, is you feel like you are in a way carrying the flag and having, you know, the entire weight of the black community on your shoulders. Right. Because. If you do a good job, then that potentially opens the door for other black leaders to come in. If you don't do a job, it could have the opposite effect. And so and so that's what I mean about the additional stress. I mean, we know as as black people and really in any industry, you have to 
overperform, outperform sometimes just to get to uh, an even level playing field with with your counterparts that aren't black. Right. And so that additional weight of of doing what I need to do, trying to overperform and outperform others at the same time, opening the doors for others that look like me. Yeah, I believe there's a real tension there, too, on many different sides. Right. Because it's uh, like you said, you don't want to be the last one at the door and whether you acknowledge it or not. Um, when you're the first, you do represent for people that aren't aware or don't necessarily have as, uh, let's say, as uh, as many uh, diverse uh, experiences or friends, you're going to represent what they think of black people. Sometimes I've often actually think that sometimes when they see it, I think a bigger problem can come about when they see you as a person. Well, you're not like that. Right. So mm, like, mm. yes, you may be black. But you're not like most black people. Right. So because I've heard that. before, yeah, Like literally yeah, yeah. I've gotten that and I've tried to figure out how the hell to process that. So on one side, it's that. On the other side, it's I've also dealt with the tension of uh, other you know, black folks, frankly, that uh, have an under that have a, some, some difficulty understanding how to how you have to maneuver those politics in the right way to actually go about that. So talk about those tensions. So how do you deal with yeah. it? Right. Like sometimes you, when you do a great job, they don't see it as like, oh, this is what all people can do that are black. This is maybe you're the exception to the rule. How do you challenge that? And how do you challenge the other side when folks uh, our own folks sometimes don't understand what you are actually doing to open the door? Because I've felt that before, too. So, I love yeah, that. yeah. No, I and, and I've talked about this in, in interviews that I've done in the past, too. Earlier on in my career, um, code switching, right. Was, was, uh, was a big thing, right. Yes. For me and, and obviously others that probably, yeah. you know, maybe for you and others that that's, like look it, like it, us. It, right. And we're and, telling and the truth. That's, a part, it, that's right? a part of what one had to do. Right. Right. And, and you do it because again, you don't feel comfortable in the room. Sometimes you don't feel like you belong in the room and you're doing what you can to fit in. Right. In many ways right. so that you, you can stay in the room and, and try to excel. Right. For me, um, you know, as I've as I've grown in my career, gotten senior positions um, and really more confident and grounded in, in who I am, code switching has, has gone away. Like yes. I am who I am and you I, want I, to. I am too now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah. We're good. Like, you, you know, you're hiring um, you're hiring me for me. So I'm going to be me. Right. And and I, I always try to think about um, successes that I have and. You know, again, the successes that I have is, you know, attributed to my work, my team's work, you know, my company's work. But I also tried my best to promote successes that other people that look like us in the industry have as well, too. You know, if you check my LinkedIn feed, I'm resharing stuff. I'm I'm saying congratulations, doing all that. So I I think, you know, to answer your question there, I think um, you have to focus on doing what you do and make sure again you are performing to the best of your ability but you also should be supporting others around you that look like you in the work that they're doing as well too because that's the way you know you can show that you know more you know black people uh in leadership positions coming up in their uh careers are performing well uh and and are doing a great job in the subject matter that they're focused on, if you will. Yes. I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, where I thought you might be going, particularly when someone says like, oh, well, yeah, you're the, you know, 
the special Negro or whatever you want to call it. Like the one, like, Oh, you're different. Uh, I thought you were talking, I thought you might talk about like having a teachable moment with, uh, with some of your colleagues. Like I've had to do that. And it's, it was, a, it was an extreme example and I'll be very brief, but I was on the board of the university of Cincinnati and, um, one of our officers had shot unjustifiably shot and killed uh, an African-American male. Uh, <clears throat> this was before 2020. I mean, we know it's been happening for a long time. Mm. And, um, and, and, you know, one of my colleagues said, well, you know, he was doing X, Y, Z and Rob, you wouldn't do that. And, you know, I had to take a pause and I, and, 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 uh, and, and, and make him understand that it, he wouldn't have known me as the chairman of the board. He would have seen a black man, mm. a tall black man. Mm. And you have to understand I've been pulled over. A gun has been pulled out on me by an officer for no reason. And I wasn't doing anything. So I want you to know that it's not that it's not, it has nothing to do, do other than anything that this person only saw my color yeah. and reacted in a way. Yeah. And it's, it's not because he was a bad person or I'm an exceptionally good black person. And so I think, I try to use those moments and figure out a way um, to to deal with those moments. I'm not sure if you had a moment like that. And if you can think about how you communicated in a way that was actually constructive uh, and actually taught people something. If you don't, we can move on. I just wanted to. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I mean, I listen, I have plenty of moments throughout my life and my career, you know, similar to you, I've, you know, been pulled over for, for no reason. I have had uh, situations where, I'm in meetings and someone from uh, an external organization is coming into the room to talk to me and other senior folks. And again, being the only black person in the room when they're speaking, they're looking everyone else in the eye and looking past me. Right. right. When, when, when and, and in some cases, I'm the subject matter expert uh, in, in the room. Right. And what I what I try to do in those situations and what I teach folks um, who I mentor or who ask me how to deal with those situations is don't lose yourself. Right. Mm. You have to be you have to be you continue to perform and don't let um, someone who um, sees you a certain way and has a level of ignorance bring you down to their level. You know, mm. stay high with that. Yeah, no, that's great. So kind of switching a little bit to uh, how you got into this career. How did you get into the career of digital advertising? Like what brought you here? Um, by chance, quite frankly, okay. uh, coming out of school uh, in the late 90s and applying for jobs. You know, I went to Kane University, which is a division three school in in, in Union, uh, New Jersey. And I had a I graduated with an undergrad in management science and a concentration in marketing. Um, and quite frankly, like many kids uh, going through college and coming out of school, I, I didn't have a clear understanding of what I wanted to do yet. I knew that I, I eventually wanted to be in marketing and advertising. But as you know, that's that's very broad, that's very, right? broad yes. <laughs> very broad. Right. Um, and so I. Um, I applied for uh, a role as a sales assistant at a company called EarthWeb, which is a online publisher at the time focused on delivering information and news to IT professionals. Hmm. And, you know, long story short, I got the job as a sales assistant 
And after six months as a sales assistant, my VP of sales uh, pulls me in our office and says, hey, we're creating this new department called ad operations. Would you have any interest in, in wanting to, to uh, move over into that team uh, and be an ad trafficker? And again, not knowing much about digital advertising at the time, right. what ad operations meant, but being very hungry and knew that I just wanted to try different things and perform and move up. And luckily, as I got into the ad operations uh, field, um, it, it, it drew me in and it drew me in for a number of reasons. One, I think for anyone coming into digital advertising, ad operations is a good entry point. And I say that from experience because it gives you the chance to learn so much about the business because you see it all right. You see the sales side of things. You see the product side of things. You see the technology side of things using ad servers and data management platforms and, and all of those tools. And so it was a good way for me to, to, to get that foundation. And from there, you know, I continued along in my career in ad operations for the first 14 years of my career. Most notably, I worked at a local news publisher called Advanced Digital, uh, moved up to manager, director level, did some pretty cool things at Advanced Digital, like implementing their first programmatic strategy, implementing their first data and audience uh, strategy and audience extension. And then uh, in 2014, I moved over to a company called Live Intent, where I made a pivot in my career. I went from ad operations to account management. And for me, the pivot was uh, important because I was going to be in a position now where I could build a team that was responsible for servicing ad operations professionals. So right. I was moving to sort of the other side of the industry, if you will, and built out that account management team, led account management at Live Intent for about two years. And then I decided to make another pivot in my career. So and before you go to that, really yeah, quick, yeah, pivoting, because yeah, I have yeah, a question in between. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, often I think in order to be successful in anything, entrepreneurship life, it's about having perseverance, pushing through when tough times, also having patience though, because you can yeah. be working hard and understanding things do take time. But then it's pivoting too, right? You can you can have enough patience. You could be uh, uh, persevering, but then you got to pivot. As you talk about your next pivot, all your pivots. How do you know when it's the right time to pivot? Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting question, and I'm not sure you always fully know uh, it's the right time. I think it's a combination of knowing that you want to pivot being ready and also being ready for when that opportunity actually comes along, right? right? Because the opportunity could have come along for me, but maybe I I, I wasn't thinking about it and wouldn't have been and wouldn't have been ready. Right. So I, right. I think it's a combination of those two things. And you know, as we talk a little bit more about my career, you know, one of the things that I've I've always sort of looked at and and said is I never wanted to be put in a box. I think so many times, you know, professionals get put in a box. Companies yeah. get put in a box. Oh, this is an ops person. This is a salesperson. This is a marketing person. And I always wanted to be thought about as someone who is a leader and likes to build high performing teams. And no matter what role you put me in, that's what I'm going to focus on doing. And that's what I've tried to do throughout my career 
whether it be uh, my long career in ad operations, whether it be the time where I moved over to live intent and, and built out and ran the account management team for my first couple of years, or even then when I pivoted after running the account management team, pivoted into marketing and led and built out product marketing team, and then eventually all of marketing, and then eventually became a CMO uh, at Live Intent. What I've always tried to do whenever I, I pivot is, like I said, what do I need to do to build out high performing teams? Uh, that's one. Two, what can I take from my previous experience that will help me in the new role, right? And then also, I think a sign of any good leader is understanding where your strengths are, but also where your weaknesses are, right? Being a CMO at Live Intent after not really coming up through sort of the marketing um, uh, uh, professional career, right? I understood that I needed to surround myself with a strong product marketing leader, a strong demand gen leader, a strong creative person, so on and so forth, right? So I think that, that all, all of that is, is super important when you pivot. Yeah, no, no, great. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about leadership, then go to uh, focusing on uh, Group Black a little bit. So you talked about uh, the important, some of the important traits of leadership you got, you you actually uh, discussed just now. Uh, I feel one of the most important uh, jobs of a leader is to really create the culture and create a culture of trust. Uh, what would you say, like, how do you go about as a leader, and you've led many times, how do you go about creating that psychological safety, that that culture of trust where people feel empowered to be themselves and speak up when they feel like things need to change? Um, well, first things first, I think as a leader, any leader, you have to do what you say you're going to do, right? That That's first and foremost um, uh, in, in terms of building trust. If you say that you're going to do something, you need to follow up and you need to make sure that you you do it. I also think that um, as a leader, you have to make sure that your teams know that your door is open to them whenever they need you, right? Um, and for me, I'm not a micromanager in, in any sense of the, of, of the word. Um, I hire people who I expect to stand on their own two feet to be able to, to do their job, and I'm gonna give them the room to, 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 to do their job. But at the same time, they understand and know that my door is open. I'm here to support them. I'm here to provide guidance. I'm here to provide air cover. At times, I'm here to uh, uh, break down uh, barriers and challenges that are impacting their ability uh, to do their job. So when it comes to sort of building trust and building uh, a culture for people to be themselves. I think all of those things are are involved. I also think it's also important that as a leader that I'm myself, right? Because right, if they right. see if they see that I am being who I am, then I think that that makes them feel comfortable as well too. There's a there's a level of comfortability that's provided for them to to also be themselves. So what do you think um is you you talked uh, about uh, being a leader and understanding your strengths and weaknesses to that point, what do you believe is your biggest lesson failure as a leader? And how did you grow from that? 
Yeah. So, um, again, being a, a leader for as many years as, I, as I've been um, managing people, because you can be a leader without being a manager, but being a, as managing people, you know, I've probably managed hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, throughout my career. Uh, you don't always get those. You don't get every situation right. Right. Um, I have made hires that I shouldn't have made. And I learned from that. Um, I have uh, mismanaged people um, in the past and I've learned from that. And so I, I, I think that's where if I think about. Um, Is there any of, one thing that sticks out in terms of like it can be a moment that's confidential you need to get into the to those specific details, but just for the audience to learn like. What was that one moment that I could feel there's something there that's there? Like, what is yeah. that? Yeah, um, there, there definitely was a, a, a situation in the past where, you know, I, I had a couple of of direct reports and one direct report um, didn't feel that maybe I was potentially giving that person. I'm trying to be as, as I don't want to. Yeah, you know, I understand. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe I wasn't giving uh, that individual uh, the time and attention that maybe others that were reporting to me uh, got right, and you know, as I as I think back on that situation itself, and I've and I've learned from that, and I've been you know better from that from that situation. But as I think back on that situation, um, I didn't feel that at the time that that person was correct in what they were saying. Right. But right. I could go back now and see that okay. Yes, maybe um, I was uh, potentially spending time in other areas uh, versus spending time with that individual. Maybe some of that was I thought that that individual maybe didn't need as much of my attention as yeah. others. But at the same time, right, I take the ownership for that because I, I need to be leading in terms of the communication there as well, too, if that makes sense. No, no, it makes total yeah. sense. Uh, yeah. it, it's uh, the challenging part is to really you have to go beyond sometimes just like the surface because yeah. every different person yes. has their different, you know, if it's not a this is not a direct comparison, but it's close, like just like in a relationship, people have love languages, people have ways that they need communication and figuring out especially if you have high performers, what that looks like for each individual person is a lot of work, but it's very important, I think, for leaders to understand that because then people are motivated right away. Thousand percent. And and what I've learned from that particular situation is I need to meet people where they are. Exactly. Right. And at the same time, I struggle with that a lot, too. Right. Right. Meet people where they are. And also realize that everyone is different as well, yep. too, right? Communication style, um, uh, how much time they may need from you, ideas they want, all of those things. And so that that was the biggest lesson learned from that situation is meet people where they are. And I definitely think that I've I learned a lot from that and, and I'm a better leader because of that situation. Okay, so now you're leading Group Black and pres- the president of uh, advertising and uh, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Group Black started um, really as an opportunity in response to what happened uh, with George Floyd and many others, frankly. And it was a collective moment that it seemed as if, you know, more of America was open to investing and looking at things differently. And so um, Group Black took that moment with uh, media and advertising. So uh, I love to, to to ask, well, based upon how it started, 
how's it going? Yeah. Well, uh, so we are two and a half years into it uh, as an organization right now. So very much still growing, very much still learning, but it's been going, it's, it's been going great. Um, You know, I, I think we have grown tremendously over the last couple of years. I will say though, that you know, not everyone who made those promises and, and commitments have, oh. have lived up to oh, it. Oh, no, never, never. Yeah, right? yeah, no. yeah. So I, I that wanna, never I wanna, happens. That, yeah, I, I want to be I want to be clear on that. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. Some are doing better than others. But at the same time, um, we as a company, uh, we continue to grow. Uh, we continue to um, figure out uh, uh, what works best for us in terms of a product offering and and how we execute on those products, how we help our customers reach their goals and how we live up to our mission and vision, which is to dramatically transform uh, the face of media ownership and investment. Yeah. Uh, So, okay. So like you, I know group black came out with a report about black creators to really provide objective measurables for things that, you know, should be obvious, but it's not. And so to people, I guess that the value that black creators are uh, creating economically, but of course not getting that same type of return. Can you talk more about that report and what you hope uh, happens as a result of that report? Yeah, sure. So first, let me, let me say this. I I think um, as it relates to creators in many ways, creators are um, like a new version of publishers these days. And, mm-hmm. and what I, and what I mean by that is you can go on various social platforms that exist that are out there and you can tune in and you can find out what's going on in the world without even going to a traditional news, um, organization or news site, right? You know, there are a number of creators out there that I follow that cover news, sports, entertainment, history, all types of subjects, right? And they're doing it in a very, very unique way. For us at Group Black, again, as as one of our product offerings is, is you know, we work with a, a network of, of, of creators. And, and again, as we're talking to agencies and brands and understanding what their goals and KPIs are, we have the ability to come up with these bespoke programs and connect the creators with the brands to, to execute on that. And as we we're getting into that business. One of the things that we immediately realized, and there are, are, you know, hundreds of articles out there about this is that, you know, black creators for whatever reason, don't have access to the same opportunities as non-black creators. And, you know, there is this, and, and we thought about that and there's this sort of myth that exists that maybe black creators don't drive the same value as non-black creators. And so for us at Group Black, again, trying to keep true to our mission and vision of dramatically transforming the face of media ownership and investment, it was important for us to set out to disprove that myth, right? And to do it with data, right? And so um, we entered into a partnership with Nielsen where we essentially just ran a, a study and a research with Nielsen where we compared 300 Black uh, creators to 300 non-Black creators and really looked at the media value that they drive. And it's a combination of things of looking at um, engagement, uh, increase in followers, 
right? Those, those sorts of metrics. And when we dug into the data, right, not really to our surprise, but we, we, we had, now we had the data to back it up. Black creators are driving just as much, if not higher media value in a number of different categories like gaming and esports, uh, lifestyle, fashion, so on and so forth than non-black creators. And so for us, it was important to put out a very impactful report for marketers, for brands, for agencies to show them that there's an opportunity here that you are not taking advantage of, right? And for any marketer and brand, they're always looking for, okay, how do I grow my business? How do I reach my goals, right? Right. Where's the next opportunity? And for us, it was great to really create this first of a kind black creator report that showed in detail how black creators drive media value. What was success look like for group black? That's a great question. Um, that, that in many ways that we don't exist in the future, right? In many ways that, that we, yeah, that, that we create, you know, um, uh, a level playing field for media ownership and investment. Right. Uh, and, and that's, that's what we're trying to, to do. So in many ways is for, for, for us not to exist. Oh, that's a great answer. So, okay. I got a couple of, uh, uh rapid fire questions. Uh, we like, I like to ask uh, some folks on here. Uh, let's see, what advice would you give to your younger self and what would, <laughs> and what would you ignore? What advice would I give to my younger self? Um, uh, think before you speak. Uh, and I, and I give that advice to, um, people that I mentor now and I follow it myself even today. I mean, you can get into very heated conversations, right? And if you respond emotionally, if you respond in the heat of the moment, you may ultimately say things that you regret and you can't take back. Yep. And even even today, I I, I make sure I follow that when I'm having maybe a, a spirited debate with someone, or I need to write a very sort of direct but productive email. I'll get up from my desk and I will, you know, go take a walk or, you know, count to 20 or something like that. Right. You never want to respond when your emotional state is very high. Yep. An emotional response to a power situation will uh, decrease your opportunities and power exponentially, even though you'll feel great in that singular moment. Like I got this out. That person knows exactly how I feel. And that's not but your feelings aren't even a real thing. They're just how you you need to be able to actually control them. That's something I've had to appreciate more. I'm a very passionate person, if you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> right. But but I work towards like, okay, things have to, you have to really think things out uh, because very rarely is it worth blowing up a bridge. Very rarely. Right. It's like right. you, you can literally be at war with somebody, then you got to figure out how to work with that person later. And you just, and it's so, it's so if you can preserve some status of the relationship, you should always do it. I mean, that's absolutely advice. I, I agree. Okay. Uh, a theme for your life, or let's say a digital ad for Corel Cooper's life. What would that be and why? Um, positive impact. Uh, every situation that I'm in, every company that I go to, every team that I try to build, I try to leave it better than when I, when I found it. Or people that I mentor, I try to make sure they leave uh, you know, our mentorship with me providing something that has had a positive impact 
on them. And so, you know, at this point in my career, anyone that I engage with, any company that I work with, that that's what's most important for me. How do I leave a positive impact? All right. You have a committee of three in business or life. Who are these three people advising you and why? Wow. A committee of three. That's that's a great. Um, I'm going to go one, my dad. Okay. Uh, advising me. Um, he is, is been obviously, a, you know, in my life, uh, a key figure in making sure that um, I was successful. Uh, I stayed out of trouble. Uh, and he always gave me uh, great advice. Um, I'm going to go with the counselor who admitted me uh, to Kane University. His name is Bruce McIntyre. Um, he uh, was a sort of a big brother to me uh, while I was on campus for four years. And, and those four years really set the foundation for um, my professional career uh, in many ways. So uh, that's two. And then you, you want three, right? Uh, let's see. Third person. Uh, I'm trying you don't, to keep you, you don't have to do three. If you're All right. Three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we, we'll we don't have to two. force it. If it's not, yeah. if it's not there, it's not there. Yeah. All right. Um, what's an important truth you have that very few people agree with you on? Uh, um Politics. <laughs> so, so, and, and I'll, and I'll explain right. that. You got to explain, explain that a little that. bit more. Uh, especially in this day and age, right? You, you know this, I mean, it's either you are like, it feels like you're either far right or far left, right? Yep. I don't consider myself uh, a member of either of those parties, right? When I, when I vote, and by the way, I voted for Democrats before I voted for Republicans before I voted for independents before, you know, whether that be at the national state or local level for me, it is all about, do I think, um, that candidate is going to leave a positive impact right. period. And so, yeah. In this day and age, you know this, man. If you, you know, you you got you got to be on one side or the other. I'm on neither side, and, yeah. that, and and I will vote for any candidate that I feel will leave a positive impact. Yeah, it's difficult though. It's uh, uh we're, we're we're tribal beings as human beings, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, you're in digital uh, media, so you can appreciate this how the media works, how it's always worked, but uh, but it, but particularly now. We have, now that we have social media, it can amplify some of the worst qualities of human nature. Uh, and and the goal is, of course, to keep you engaged. The challenge with that, though, is that it's about keeping you engaged, not if it's truthful, yeah, not if it's accurate, not if it's good for you. And I do not have the answer, but I do believe fundamentally there has to be something where we come to a reckoning about how we interact with each other Yes. online because it is literally i think the biggest threat to us that's going to happen now because this is war obviously happened but uh, even as bad as we know there's some wars going on now relative to human history it's very low relative yeah. to human history that doesn't mean there's not horrible things going on so yeah, yeah, yeah. That very very clear yeah but, like put everything in perspective if you know how many people died over 50 million people died in world war ii right War was the every that happened everywhere all all across the world at any time. And then the other thing that would kill us was, of course, uh, you know, plagues and germs. Mm, mm, mm. Generally, still out of all the statistics, more people die from sugar and suicide than they do from soldiers mm. collectively. Mm. So I believe our biggest challenge 
going forward as a human race is going to be how we actually interact with each other with technology and artificial intelligence because those things are going to they already have and they're going to continue to amplify how we how we connect with each other and if there's no thought to positive impact as you say yeah as as into human emotion and to calming tensions then it's going to lead to more divisions and it actually could make us revert more make it, yeah. wars and things yeah. like that that is my biggest yeah. concern and i'm a pro technologist i'm also though i believe in policy that we need to do that can both uh, promote innovation but then still sets transparency because i do think we're going to need to reckon with this but until that point we as individual uh, humans have to talk to our kids and everybody else about how to decipher what is happening in the world uh, because this, disinf- uh, you know, disinformation and how the media is working is one of our biggest challenges. That's my, yeah. That's I, my I, listen, I, I thousand percent agree with you on the technology piece. And, you know, as a, as a parent of a, of a teenage daughter right now, you know, that that's one of my number one concerns. I mean, when, when you and I were in high school, if we had to deal with a bully or someone that we didn't like, right. We dealt with it for a few hours and then exactly. we went home. Now it's 24 seven with the device that's in everyone's hands. Right. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that's just one example of many. There's one example. Another one while we're on this point that we'll conclude is that, you know, I was talking to my friend, we were talking about our kids too. And that, you know, if you notice this, cause we grew up around the same age, like kids don't dance at all much anymore in terms of groups and things like that. And you know why that is? I believe it's because they're worried about social media. Like and when people get on there, they're worried about people are going to make fun of them forever. So like they're they're actually losing out of the experience of what it was like to to feel to free be, uh, and connect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because there is it's it's always they're always on. There's exactly. always, you know, there's always a phone or a camera or or something to that effect where, you know, again, us going back to that age, that was that was never no. that was never the case. You don't have to worry about somebody dumped on you or something like that. I play basketball, right? Like you don't have to, the thing wasn't highlighted over and over again. A million times people to see now. Yeah. Worry about more than like scoring points. They say, I don't want to be on social media. Because, because back, back when we were younger, yes, that, that will live in your mind forever. Now it lives for everyone to see forever. Exactly. So those are the challenges. Again, I don't have the answer, but I do think we have to, I think we're just going to we're just now starting to appreciate what that has done to the psychological and the brains of 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 of, of kids, because we were at the time where it affects us, too. But we've been without it. So we also know that world, too. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a world where that's that's literally hardwired into who they are. And it's not like you can opt your kids out of social media. They won't be able to do anything. So you right. have to we got to figure out how we have that balance we have to and embrace it but there has to be a balance there has yeah. to be a balance and there has yeah. to be and it's the reason why the work that group black is doing is so important there has to be uh, a balance in how we're telling the message because then that can affect how people view black and brown people uh because there's not a thought about that in the algorithms and everything else so i actually think it's a higher call than just uh when we talk about investment and and, and ownership it's also what are we outputting there Uh, that is actually telling the full story of the black and brown experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Corel, it's been a a pleasure having you on. Always good connecting with you. Uh, Great having you on. Appreciate you, brother. All right. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. All right. 